Um, if you've got a Bible, turn to the, back, the book of Hebrews, which is kind of go to the middle and turn right and keep going. Ding, diddling, diddling. You'll get there eventually. It's an incredible book, the book of Hebrews. And today, um, we're in chapter 10. And, and sometimes in life, when you're reading the Bible, I mean, all the Bible's good, right? Right, it's just amazing. Every so often, you come across a verse that kind of ruins you, that just particularly kind of ruins you. And I have been so both unbelievably enticed by the verse I want us to look at and utterly challenged to my core. It's been both. That's what the Bible tends to do. It draws you in and makes you think, I want that. And in the same breath you think, but I just, that just terrifies me. And the verse today is verse 34. Verse 34. This is describing the Jewish Christians that we've been talking about every single week. This is now the writer reminding them of an event or events that happened in their life that we're going to focus on today. Verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession. This is describing here a disciple of Jesus. It's someone... (laughs) who can joyfully accept the plundering of their property. And we're going to look at what, what property includes, both literal stuff, but often metaphoric stuff, things that we hold dear. And the reality is what, what this guy is describing, that the writer of Hebrews is a real disciple. This is, in a sense, the first 10 chapters have been describing what God has done, what God has done, what God has done, right? Now, from verse 19 of this passage, of this chapter... It's like the final stretch of Hebrews. And it's all about now, in light of what God has done and who God is, this is now how we live. And this one verse, for me, I think personally, is my fridge magnet verse for Hebrews. It, is, it blows me away. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property because since you had a better possession. You see, what this is describing is a disciple, not just a, a, a kind of Christian, a Sunday Christian thing. This is, this is someone with a deep, deep abiding relationship with Jesus. This is describing a person that if the church in this nation was filled with people like this, I think this world would know it more and more. And uh, I look at it and I, I love it. And then I look at myself. And I'm not just trying to sound kind of humble I really, I think to myself, am I someone who, who allows plundering of things that I hold dear in my life? And <laughs> nothing could be further from my natural self. I'm, you know, if someone even plunders my potatoes when I'm in the middle of a meal, I don't like it. You know, if someone takes things from me, if, if I feel like my friendships, which I've held dear, have been plundered, have been taken, I, I, I am not joyfully accepting that. I hate it. I feel if like my role 
changes in life, which I've held dear. I don't, I don't joyfully normally accept that. Maybe you do. I don't know. When my emotions go from being in a great place to being in a not so great place, and they feel like they've just been plundered. The, the happy Tom has been plundered. I don't normally joyfully accept that because I have a better possession. I focus on the thing that's gone. So I I find myself, as I say, drawn to this verse, magnetized by it. But I also find myself thinking, how on earth could I ever become someone like this? It's almost a crushing verse, isn't it? It's like the weight of this thing. (laughs) Is this real? Did this really happen? Can you imagine this? These guys, these Jewish Christians had lost everything. And and he's described, do you remember when that happened? When, When they burst into your house and they took everything and they get out? And you lost your family and you lost your kids. You lost your livelihood because you're no longer a Jew now. You're just one of those Christians. Get out! Do you remember how deep in your soul there was a strange joy? Because you ultimately still had him. Man, this is one of those verses. But the wonderful thing is, it doesn't just sort of hold it up and go, there you go, try hard. The Bible never does that. It never does that. It's so kind. Look at the next verse with me. Therefore... Do not throw away your confidence. This is actually about confidence. How on earth could we ever become a people who are anything like this this description? Well, it's ultimately about this. The more that we have a profound confidence in Jesus as this great possession, the more that we're not unaware of him and he's this distant person, the bigger he gets, the more actually... Our confidence grows in him. And actually, those other things, as much as we love them, we we are baby steps towards able to letting them go. That's it. It's about confidence. It's not about trying hard. It's about confidence in this better position, better possession. It's about confidence in him. And actually, what we see is that in this very passage, in the previous verses, there are two keys to growing in confidence in this better possession. And they're very simple, but as is often the way in the Christian life, it doesn't mean that they're very easy. They're very simple. They're so simple that even a child could understand. That's good news, because I'm not very clever. Number one, we have to to draw near. Number two, we then need to stay near. That's how we get confident in this better possession. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. But I recognize I'm only at the beginning of really knowing you. Lord, we can't wait to meet you. We really can't. But Lord, today we want to ask that you will move in power. And you will free us from seeing you in a small way to seeing you in a big way. So that our hands are able to let you all the other stuff go if you want to take it. Let us be a people who can honestly say that we will... We will partner with you as you plunder our property since we know about a better possession. Amen. Two two keys then. The first, the key we see here in this verse 19 that I mentioned about. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence. There it is again. Do you see that? Confidence. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, Through the curtain, that is his flesh. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. 
So we see, first of all then, we see this phrase, we need to draw near. We need to draw near. What I'm trying to say is this, it isn't automatic. It isn't automatic. The reason that he says draw near is because actually you can spend your Christian life drawing near to other things. Those other possessions that you actually love, which we'll talk about in a moment, rather than drawing near to him. Now, this is important, really important for some of you. I would say, not to be ageist, some of you particularly who are of a younger disposition. Because different generations have different challenges. Some cha- I think many uh, in the slightly more senior generation would have had a challenge of what Christians call legalism. Which is, it's all about rules. And the message of grace sets us free to realize it is by grace. Many of you have grown up in a grace environment. It's all about grace. And it is about grace. God does everything. But in addition, we need to understand that as well as him doing everything, he calls us to partner with him. That there's a sloppy understanding of grace. Do you understand? There's a sloppy, it's not in the Bible. It's this thing of like, well, because God's gracious, I can kind of, woo! And, and, and that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about at all. It's not what I'm talking about. We draw near. But listen, it isn't actually a big ask of God to make us or to call us to draw near, right? When you look at what he's done, when you look at what he's done, in verse 19, he says, therefore, what's he talking about? He's saying, in light of the last 10 chapters that you have read, in light of that, draw near. In light of the fact that Jesus is bigger than the angels and the prophets, week one, draw near. In light of the fact that Jesus has defeated death and the fear of death, draw near. In light of the fact that Jesus has now given you a hunger for him that's bigger than any other hunger, draw near. In fact, in light of the fact that he has given you a hope that is now more reliable than any other hope, draw near. The point is he's saying he's done everything. So can I just ask one tiny, teeny thing? Draw near. That's the flavor of it. He's saying, therefore, in light of the whole the stuff we've been looking at, draw near, city church, get close to me. And then your confidence will start to grow so that when those other possessions start to be taken away from you, you're okay because you know me, because you're close to me, because I am actually a reality in your life. Draw near. I love the way he says, draw near. Now, you can enter with confidence. We have confidence. How come we can have confidence to enter the holy places? Remember the priests? They went to the holy places occasionally, but they weren't confident. It was terrifying. Now we can enter confidently because Jesus has gone before us. In light of everything that Jesus has done through his blood, not through the blood of a goat, not through the blood of a lamb, through the blood of Jesus Christ himself, he gave his life, he bled on a cross. That's how committed he is to me and you knowing him. Draw near. Do you see? That's the flavor of it. It's not like, I've got to draw near. What a stressor. He's saying, no, no, no. Get a huge perspective of all the things that I've done. Let them fill your soul. So that when you think, what should I do with my time? Of course, the default is in light of, therefore I draw near. I love what he says here, through a new and living way. Do you feel the taste of that? It's not an old way. It's not like ultimately the Old Testament, which was leading us towards Jesus. There's now a new way. It's a living way. Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. Through this incredible act of the cross, we come to him. We come to him. He says, draw near. That's all I'm asking is, will you draw near? Now, the reality is we hear that and we go, that's amazing, Jesus. So why do we therefore so often, if we're honest, 
spend our lives drawing nearer to other things. Because often, to be honest with you, old habits can die hard. You become a Christian, you believe it, but actually what we can often do is functionally spend our lives drawing near to, let me give you a couple of illustrations from my life. I tend to, the possessions I really love are control and winning. Those are two which I still see so often. Those are the things I actually draw near to. Those are the things I love. I, you know, I think about this. I think the fact is for these guys, they had, as we've heard, they would have lost everything. They were being persecuted. Their lives were being threatened. They would have left, left and, and lost their friendships, um, those around them that they were close to. Everything in their, in their being would have wanted to take control, to draw close to the possession of control. I mean, I, I find if, I don't know, if someone in, just invades my space a bit, you know, and, and I sense that, oh, you, you know, I, I want to take back control. I find as I try to give stuff away to, more, to other leaders, if they don't do it quickly and perfectly, that can push that little control thing in me very, very quickly. Because I love the possession of control. I love it. I love it so much. And what he's saying is, if you are drawing near in your heart functionally to that, then what will happen is, is that you, you won't be able to draw near to, to the greatest possession, which is Jesus. Or maybe it's the winning thing. The two are quite connected often, aren't they? For me, it's this thing of often just needing to make sure that I've, I'm winning, I'm on top, and <laughs> being seen to be winning and on top. These guys, again, think about it. You put yourselves in their shoes. They would have felt that they had lost everything. Successful Jews, now following Jesus, but now rejected by everyone around them. If they had any competitive streak, any part of them that wanted to win, every fiber of their being would have wanted that possession. Do you understand? That's what they would have wanted. And this writer is saying, I know you want that. I know you want to feel like you're winning in life. I know you want to feel like everything's under your control. I know you want those possessions, but I'm plundering them. God's plundering them. He's taking them away from you. And look how well you're doing. That you are joyfully accepting it because your confidence is actually in this greater, better possession that is Jesus, an abiding one. You're confident in him. You're confident in him. You see, the reality is, I find when, when I feel like the Lord is allowing the, allowing the plundering of things that are dear to me in my life, what I'll often end up doing is I'll often end up scrabbling after the other things that I think maybe will make me feel better rather than the better possession, which is Jesus. That's what I'll often tend to end up doing. Maybe you're a little bit like me in that sense. I'll end up doing that but what he's saying is, don't you understand the better possession is Jesus. The new and living way. The way that you now have confidence to come into his presence 24 hours a day through the new and living way, through this one who is faithful. You draw near to him when those things feel like they're being taken away. And as you do that, your confidence in him grows and grows and grows. See, the reality is, is that so often in our lives, we say that Jesus is our great treasure, but when we actually look at our lives 
and how we respond when things are not as we wish, we realize actually that's not necessarily the reality. I mean, for me, the last 12 months and since my sabbatical and all of that's gone on since I realized this is, this is all God's been doing. He's been reminding me, Tom, I'm going to take away, you know that possession you have of feeling like you're kind of in control? Yeah, there we go. <whistles> Off it goes. You know the whole thing about feeling like you're successful in many ways? There it goes. And leaving me feeling very naked and vulnerable. And there's Jesus. Those possessions go, and there he is. And what I'm called to do is to draw near. Is to draw near. Is not to go up, to, to draw near, always to draw near. Keep drawing near, keep drawing near. As you draw near, Tom, as you draw near, you will find that he, even when those things are taken away, he is the better possession. My confidence is slowly growing in that great truth. I remember having a, a coffee a few months ago with a guy called Chris Stacy. Many of you will know. Now, Chris is a guy in his mid-20s, and about three or four years ago, he had an accident, which meant that he has been in perpetual, agonizing pain in his back, nonstop, all the time. And they have done everything they know how to do to, in order to, to alleviate, and there's been virtually no change. And I was sitting there listening to this guy. And because of that, obviously, he hasn't been able to work in the same way. It's just affected everything. And I was thinking, man, this is, you know, this is shocking. God's allowed a plundering of something, taking away of something so precious to this young guy. And I was asking about this. And he said, but I have to say to you, Jesus, I've never felt so close to it in all my life. He says, he said, I, I wouldn't swap this. I wouldn't swap this. Because I was just feeling so sorry for the guy. And he was like, don't, don't feel sorry for me. I was like, what? Like he was, the whole conversation, he was flinching every few minutes because of the pain. He's on the highest level of morphine you can, you can legally be on. He's like, I, I know that this better possession, this better possession of having a new and living way through Jesus. It's, it's what we do. We, we, come, we draw close. We develop a life where actually we're close to him. You see, that is why even when someone sits in a prayer meeting and systematically kills nine people as they're praying. That's why a few days later, their relatives, their mums, their dads can with integrity look the murderer in the eye and say, I'm in agony and you've taken away a possession that is unimaginably precious to me. And that pain is really real. But I genuinely forgive you because you can't take Christ away from me. You can't do it. You can even... Kill me. And you can't do that. Now that isn't, that isn't trying hard. That's a people who are drawing near. That's a people who would allow the plundering. Maybe not yet joyfully, but allow the plundering of those things even so close to them. The Lord wants to help us. The first step then is that we draw near. We draw near. But then he goes on to say something very specific we then stay near. How do, we, how do we stay near to this better possession that is Jesus? So that we can actually, we can do well when he starts to allow the plundering of those things that we so desire. Perhaps for you it's your friends, your relationships. Maybe it's, it's you've had dreams. Dreams that actually, you just even now as I'm saying, you're just reminded of dreams that you had 
and actually they've kind of been plundered. You haven't seen them, and maybe you're not going to see them. How do, we, how do we walk through that? How do we do that? I, wi- I wish I had some other thing to say in a way that was more snazzy and more cool or more kind of impressive. We draw near to the better possession. And we grow in confidence. We grow in confidence. As we draw near, we go, do you know what? Although I love those things, I know I'm not losing out. When he takes those things away, actually they, they would have never ultimately satisfied like him. That's profound. That is profound. It's kind of scary, isn't it? But it's wonderfully profound. So we, we draw near, but then we need to stay near. And there's two very specific things he says about staying near to this Jesus. Confession and community. He says this, in verse 23, we, so we've drawn near to him, but then verse 23, he says, let us now hold fast. Let us stay near. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, this is, this is fascinating. What he's saying is, how do you actually not just initially draw near on a Sunday morning when you feel a bit inspired? How do you actually live ongoingly? How do you stay near to this great possession that is Jesus so that you can increasingly let your hands go like this and say, God, take the things you need to take. He says, hold fast to confession. Now, that's, I find that fascinating. It's not what I would have expected. Oh, hold fast to confession. Yeah, and the, and, and the idea here is, as it sounds, confessing of Jesus to those who don't know Christ, but I think also confessing your sins to those appropriate around you when that needs to happen. I think it's got both elements here. What he's saying is, if you want to grow in your confidence in this great possession, draw near and then stay near. Stay near to me through confessing who I am to others, but also confessing your sins to one another. There's something about confession that keeps us close to Jesus. There's something about confession. How are you doing on those two elements, is what he's saying. How are you doing? Is it something that's part of your life? Because actually, it's a source of profound, increasing confidence in Jesus as the great possession. You follow the path of confession, and you increasingly stay confident in Jesus through having a lifestyle of confession. A lifestyle of confession. You see, with that first type of confession, i.e. telling people about Christ, that has been one of my biggest weaknesses over the last 10 years, 10, 15 years. I am rubbish at it by nature. And I'm still not exactly something to write about. But in my tiny, teeny, Tom baby way, I'm starting to take baby steps, particularly through being in the pub a lot with my neighbours and my friends regularly. I'm now part of four different pub groups. How amazing is that? One for every week. Um, different challenges now, but there we go. It's amazing. And this is the deal. Whenever I go, I never, I never go thinking I'm going to talk about Jesus. But what happens is after a beer or two, they always want to talk about him every time. Now, I understand that some of you go, Tom, that's not what happens when I go out for a beer with my friends. I know God's being very kind to me. I, know, I don't imagine for a second this is something that I'm sort of ha- making happen. It's his grace. But what happens is every time that they say, Oh, this week, Tom, what do you think about that that was in the, in the thing? And they, and they want to talk about spiritual and big things. Every time I'm like, I don't really want to talk about this. I feel a bit scared. And what I do is I do my best. It's not very impressive. I do my best to talk with courage and confidence 
not ashamed about Jesus in language that hopefully is clear. And every time what happens is even when some of them go, hmm, and you can tell they're a bit frosty. Why are we talking about this? Why don't you bring that up, Bert? Others who are actually interested, every single time, I come away thinking, do you know what? I, my confidence in you, Jesus, as the better possession has gone up. Selfishly, I feel more spiritually strengthened through that moment in the pub or whatever it might be than if it hadn't happened. Every single time. Every single time. I, every single time, time I normally come home and Josie's fast asleep by the time I come and I have to wake her up because I'm spiritually feeling high because I'm realizing Jesus doesn't just work in this Sunday moment. He works out there. Hallelujah. He's the real deal. And you get, we get so familiar with Christ. Yeah, we believe in a God who loves us un, um, unimaginably and he's died for us and he's, he's done everything for us and he's poured out his spirit so he's with us all the time and he's promised eternity in paradise. That's quite good news. And when people are going through hell on earth and we dare to whisper a little bit of that, bit of that news, they're like, what? That's not what I grew up hearing. Uh, yeah, I know. We have a liar. He's called Satan and he's, he's really good at telling people lies. And when, when that happens and I almost watch myself, I'm thinking, why don't I do this more often? This is, this is amazing. And actually what we find is through confessing Christ to others, our confidence in him. That is why the Great Commission ties mission and intimacy together. It says, go and make disciples. Oh, and I will be with you. Sometimes we can feel a bit distant to God. and I've got to pray more, read my Bible more. Those are good things. Sometimes we've got to talk about him more to those who don't know Jesus. And guess what? Suddenly the rush of the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're like... This is amazing. It's like I'm just like back to square one when I, first, when I first actually fell in love with him. There is something about him. And, 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 and this is the thing is that when we don't talk about him, what actually we're doing is we're often drawing near to the possession of being liked. That's the competing possession, yeah? And we have to push through that and go, I want to be liked and this could backfire. And sometimes we're not as liked as much. But what happens is in those moments is the possession of being liked shrinks a bit. And in those moments, the possession of Jesus grows. And we go, I do want that, but you know what? I, I want this a bit more now. Through that confession, he draws us in. And I felt for some of you as I was praying, but I did feel for some of you that actually, that understandably, you're still in that place where you're, for you even talking about mission and talking about Jesus, it's just like, I'll get to that at some point. It scares me, Tom. I, I hate that. I think I've got to make something happen. Rather than realizing it's all his grace. He always sets it up. He's always the one who goes ahead of us. And he wants us to enter into greater confidence in him as the better possession through having moment after moment after moment in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, where you are close to him. But also confession of sin. It's the other side of this meaning. I, I, I have seen that when we stopped confessing, it's an old-fashioned word, isn't it? When we stop confessing sin regularly, when we stop that, what happens is it's like um, the, the lake becomes dead. Yeah, you can keep having blessing, you can keep coming, you can keep doing, but when there isn't a sense of contrition, there isn't a sense of, God's showing me this thing this week. When that dies, and you're more aware of everyone else's things, when you become that person, then you will find, your, your conf- when you actually stand, you go, oh, I'm not confident in Jesus at the moment. I don't even feel close to him. There is something so sweet and wonderful about confession. When the Spirit of God is working on a, on a tender heart regularly, keeping it tender, 
that means our confidence in Jesus keeps getting bigger and, and actually allows us to say to the Lord, Lord, you see, Lord, when, when we confess to people around us, we have to, we have to allow, it's, it's not normally a pleasant thing. <laughs> you want, we want people to think we're doing well, right? And when we, we have to say to people, actually, there's this or there's this, we're saying that possession of being liked, oh, you're so tempting. But Jesus is just whispering this to me and I, 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 he needs to become bigger again. He's just become small in my heart and that's not his fault, that's my fault. And Jesus, I, I just want to go. I, and that's what happens. I'll never forget standing over there when I was about two years into my faith and I'd got into sexual sin. And um, I'd come to church and hands in the air. But actually, it was horrible. Oh, I'm so grateful to the Holy Spirit. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? He is a friend who won't let go. And he was just like, boom, boom, boom on my heart every time. And I just had to go up to the pastor, a guy called Barry afterwards said, and this is like, you know, I was a young Christian. This is Barry, the leader of the church. I just, I've just got to be honest with you. And I just confessed it. And the moment I confessed it, I, my, I knew he was like, oh, that's not great. But you are deeply loved by God. Now let's move on. Let's walk through this. Let's get away from this, Tom. And, and I had to let that possession of, of being light just go for a moment. I had to just, that was the sacrifice to get Jesus big again. A good friend of mine recently had to resign from leading a church because of sin. And he's, the church knows this, so I'm not saying anything that's inappropriate. And he knows I'm going to mention this. And um, I love him so much, and he's one of my best friends. But he really, he stopped confessing because he felt like, can I do that? Can I, can I do that? Can I be that weak? And so for years, he's led a double life. And um, God woke him up, and he had a dream a, few, about a month and a half ago. And God said to him, if you don't stop sinning, I'm going to end your life. And he woke up at five in the morning and he just got on his knees and said, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he confessed to his wife and he confessed to his father and he confessed to the leaders. And he said to resign. And um, they're going to lose their house because the church paid for most of it. They're going to probably have to leave the church. They're going to have to probably leave the city they live in. But you know what? He's so joyful. He's so joyful because, do you know what? He's lost those things. They've been taken from, his, they've been plundered and he, he wouldn't want that. But when you talk to him, the joy he has now knowing he's right with his father, talking to his wife, she's like, I, I wish those things hadn't happened. But do you know what? He's a different man. Because he now has the better possession afresh. His confidence in that better possession. He has been stripped of everything he felt held dear. Everything. And yet when I talk to him, he's like, I wouldn't swap it. Because I now have Christ again. Because he's big in my soul. And I just feel for some of us here today, the Lord, the Lord will not be mocked. He wants you. He wants you to have him as big in your heart. And he wants you, us to be a confessing people. He wants it. That it's a culture in our small groups and on Sundays and with our friends and when we're together that we're quick. That it doesn't build in the way that it did with him. That actually we're quick. We're quick. And we fear the Lord. 
Because the fear of the Lord is clean. It's not a scary, horrible thing. It's an awesome thing. It's the true north. It cuts through so much cheap grace. I fear you, Lord. I confess. And you stay big. You stay big. And I will lose. I will lose. You will have to plunder. He will plunder. But what a God. What a God. So we confess. And the final thing is this. He then talks about community. How do we continue to stay close to him? We don't just confess. It's about community. Now this is, again, I wouldn't have put this here. He says here in verse 34, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I love this. Think about this. He's just spent 10 chapters talking about what the Son of God has done for us. I've been talking about it all morning. He's given everything. He's laid down his life. He's made a new and living way. He's, his promises are steadfast. He's the faithful one. He's done everything. And I love this, that one of the first applications he comes to, in light of all the glories of what God has done, what do we now do? Go to church. <laughs> He's saying, be together a lot. Go to small group. What? No, 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 that, that's, like legal, that's legalistic, Tom. You can't say that. It's what it says. It says, in light of everything he's done, how do you stay close to this one so that your confidence increasingly builds in him over time? How do you do that so that you can become a verse 34 person, someone who will allow the plundering of things? He's saying, meet together a lot. Get to small group. Go to church. Be together a lot is the way. I I find this amazing, particularly when I consider, remember the context. For these guys to meet together, when there's massive persecution, could well have meant death. He's saying, but even though you might die when you're meeting together, it's that important. Now that's, that is massive. That is huge. That's absolutely amazing. Because I think for most of us, I think we love Sundays. But I don't know if we see them quite like that. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, I love Sundays. But I find if I'm away from Canterbury... Um, on a Sunday, on holiday or whatever, or doing something else, I find it much more easy to sort of mentally switch off and to kind of you know, emotionally recharge. If I'm physically in a different place, I'm, I would imagine many of you would say that you know, that's, that's similar. But you know, if I'm not around on Sundays a lot, although physically and emotionally it does me good in some ways, spiritually I immediately notice the difference. Immediately. And you have to, we have to understand that this is saying, I mean, the, the next verse in verse 26, if you need to see the next verse, after talking about going to church a lot, this is the next verse. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice of sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment. Verse 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, he's not talking about just Christians who are on, you know, doesn't go to church much. He's talking about people who are deliberately choosing to turn their back on God. But nevertheless, the context is like, he takes this seriously. He's like, in view of what I've done for you, I want you to be a people who do not neglect the meeting together. Now this is, we have to understand the age in which we live. I don't think there's ever been an age 
where our culture is waging war more than ever against the regular commitment to be together most Sundays. I think it's absolutely massive. There's a few reasons. Number one, increased mobility. It's just the fact that you can jump in a car, jump on a train, get on a bike, whatever, jump on a plane. It's, it's a blessing and it's a curse. Because for thousands of years, or certainly for hundreds of years, thousands of years as well, you know, you were kind of in your village, in your town, and occasionally you might go somewhere, but you go to, you're together each week, at least once a week. And now, you can just fly everywhere, which is great, but it tell you what, it kills community. It kills community. Kills it. Second thing, massive, massive, almost idolization of relationships. Now, I love relationships, but with things like Facebook, what happens is, you don't just have your group of 20, 30 friends. You have hundreds of friends. And people that, in, the, in, in a good way, you would have known for a season and then they would have moved away. You now stay relationally connected with hundreds of people. You could spend your life going to stag weekends and hen-do's and this reunion. And, this. and I'm not against relationships. You hear what I'm saying? But what happens is, you just, if, if you're living in that world the whole time, how on earth you actually build deeply here becomes a massive challenge because emotionally you're kind of living here and actually all over the place. I remember a friend of mine, a guy called, uh, um, oh, he's such a good friend. Um, his name's gone, Greg, bass player. Greg, Greg Struthers. Greg Struthers, great dude, lovely guy. And uh, he was here for a year and then he, uh, for a few years and then he went to another church. But he was always back and we're like, hey, he's back. And then he said to me, he said, my pastor chatted to me recently and he said, I love you, Greg, and you're an amazing guy. If, you, if you're always away, you're never going to grow in, in terms of relationships here, in terms of accountability here, in terms of hearing the word of God here. You're never going to grow as a Christian because you're just flying around everywhere. And actually, and he said, you're so right. And I haven't seen Greg since then. That was years ago. I love the guy, but he's right. He's actually right. And I'm not saying you can never go away. You know I'm saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying actually there is a culture, mobility, Relational connection. The third thing is massive individualism. More than any other time we live in a time where we just think, well, I'm here and I'll come. And if, I, if I'm not there, it doesn't matter. If Lily or Daisy are not at the table, I notice. They make a massive difference. We're a family, amen? We, and we're a little bit bigger than that, but it really makes a difference. Really makes a difference. It's, it's huge. That individualism thing is an absolute killer. And then another one, there's so many consumerism. Yeah? I was talking to Mike Betts about this last week. He said the difference in the generations, just in 30 years. He, this is a, a father figure type guy to me. He leads another church. He said 30 years ago, the, 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 the fundamental heart position of Christians was servanthood. I'm here to serve. He says it has shifted to consumerism. It's a massive deal. I'm not saying we're all just consumers. But he's right that there's this huge thing of I come and consume. And did I get fed today? Oh, it didn't do much for me today. It's the language you use rather than, wait a minute, <laughs> our leader is Jesus. Um, I think he's a servant. Yeah, that's right. He died for me. So I serve. I come to serve. Oh, and as I serve, I get blessed. But actually, it's that way round. It's a massive thing for us. Add into that hurts when you get hurt. Happens. It will happen. You feel hurt by people in the church and disappointed. You can see how, you can see how actually when, when this writer here is finishing, and we'll finish with this, he's saying, do you know how you grow in confidence in this better possession is through meeting together loads? You can see how actually, uh, is, he, is he for real? How can, I mean, does he understand the world we live in? We can easily think to ourselves, this is crazy. 
And as I thought about this, I thought, how can a little meeting, well, it's quite a big meeting, but how can a meeting in a school hall possibly compete, possibly compete with the tidal wave of things I've just said? How? When the world is your oyster, hobbies and leisure activities and things that are not bad, millions of family expectations, the list goes on of things that could easily mean, oh, I'll go every so often, but I'm not actually going to really see it as my priority. And then the more I thought about this, the more it's not funny, but almost I was thinking, how how can I possibly expect a, a, a meeting in a school hall to put, it's like a total David and Goliath, right? How could we possibly expect that to compete with the enormity of what this culture is offering us? And then I remember that the way to the Saviour was through a manger in a stable. And then I remember that the way of Jesus has always been through the small the mustard seed, the insignificant. And I remember the fact that actually the way to Jesus is the way to a man who most people didn't prioritize. He was rejected. When he went to the cross, he wasn't surrounded by lots of people who were for him. He was left alone. The way to Jesus was in a place called Nazareth, which is like the middle of nowhere. No one went to Nazareth. The way to Jesus has always been a hidden, small, narrow road. It's a very wide, easy road to destruction is what the Bible says. It's actually a very small, small road, narrow road. Few find it. It's the way to Jesus. I think, oh yeah, the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God that a meeting in a school hall can do so much. How can it do so much? I tell you why it will do so much. It's because when we come to a broken, weak, fragile meeting week by week, what we are doing is this, this, above all else, is that we are meeting with a God who was the ultimate one who allowed himself to be plundered. You see, the real hero of this story is not these guys, although they were amazing. The real hero is Jesus. That he was the one who who allowed himself to be plundered, didn't he? He allowed himself to be plundered at the cross. Why? For that better possession. And what's that better possession? It's you. For him, he allowed himself to let go of everything so that he could have you. So the Christian life is a life where we get ready to be plundered. We do. You know, one young Christian came up to me a couple of weeks ago with tears saying, Tom, I so want this Jesus, but I'm so scared. I I love these other things. And I thought, praise God, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Jesus plus nothing. You might get other stuff. It's not Jesus plus an easy, perfect life of any kind. It's we get him. Now, often he does bless us with those things. And this is the great thing, is that I'm not saying just suck it up. What I'm saying is, is his amazing wisdom is that even through the instrument of a Sunday morning, weak as it is, is over time, 
our confidence grows in this great better possession who actually sees you as his great possession. So whatever it is that we feel like we're losing in life, let me say this, is there anything that's more unbelievably wonderful than a God who sees you as his great possession? There isn't, is there? And the thing is, we so often... We so often get used to things. I just last week had the privilege. I was in the north and this um, uh, is a throwaway comment. I talked about the persecution. I said, I know most of us, if not all of us here, would not have experienced that. And she came up to me afterwards with a friend and the friend was a translator. She could speak some English. She said, hi, me and my husband and my eight-month daughter have just fleed from a Middle Eastern country from ISIS. They came to our house. They spray painted a huge C on our door, Christian. They said, if you don't leave immediately, we will behead you. And they got out. And this is the deal. They were literally plundered. This is happening now. It's literally happening now. And she got her way to here, to England. She got her way to City Church. And this is, we'd had a, a fine meeting in the north. It was fine. But I was all, that wasn't quite right. And she came to me with tears in her eyes saying, yeah. It's amazing. It's just amazing to be together. Isn't it amazing to be in this community? Her first ever Sunday. And she wasn't seeing the weaknesses. She was sensing the presence of this Jesus who's with his people. Who's with his people. You can't see him with your eyes, but he's more real than the chair you're sitting on. And she, was, she was sensing the reality of Jesus in a very weak thing that we get so used to. Should we stand to our feet? I'd love us to actually worship our Jesus. So if the band could come up. We've got almost 10 minutes, parents. And if you're not a parent, even longer. For us just to worship our Jesus. Just as the band set themselves up, I'd love us just to, even now, just you might just want to, um, just make sure you don't get distracted is what I'm saying. You might just want to close your eyes. He's here. The confidence we can have in you, Jesus, is amazing. Right now, Lord Jesus, we want to ask that you will, Lord God, you will just refresh our souls in you. Some of you, you have felt the pain of that plundering. Things, the dreams, loved ones, you so wanted it to be different. And it is you know, that word plundering is a vivid word and it's painful. And it is painful. And this isn't necessarily a kind of big jump up, punch the air moment. But Lord, you promised joy. You promised joy, not because we deserve it or because we can work it up, but because you love to pour it out on your children. So if you right now, you feel a little bit like, I feel like I've been a bit plundered. Even just in small ways. I know those dramatic ones are kind of like, huh, who can compete with that? But I feel it. I do feel it. In your own small way, perhaps, if you feel like that, you might just want to almost hold out your hands now as a sign to your Lord that you do feel like, Lord, you're teaching me to let go and to let you take. Oh, <sighs> Some of those things that you really, really, they are dear to you. They are dear to you. You would have loved to have had a better upbringing, some of you. And that was taken from you. 
or for some of you now with your loved ones who are going a different direction to what you would have hoped, or just your life and your marriage or your singleness is not what you would have hoped and things you feel like have been, have, have been taken. Lord, we just say, Lord, it's real and it's painful, but we run to you. We run to you. You've got to be the, there's nowhere else to go, Lord. We don't want to run to other imitations. You are the better possession. You are it. You are the treasure in the field. I love that story. We read it again as a family this week over breakfast where, you know, the treasure in the field. We discover there's treasure and then you, we sell everything to get the treasure. And the emphasis in the story is not on the selling, the letting go. It's on the treasure. Lord, where do you seem small? For some of you, many, many of us, even now, you want him to feel big in your hearts. But he just, feels, he just feels sort of small compared with what you've lost. Ask him. Ask him. Ask him to readjust that perspective. Even now, we pray as we worship you, Jesus, the risen one. Even as we do something we do so often and get into autopilot, break that, Lord. Break it. Let it be precious again. You promise, Lord, where there's unity, where we gather, there your presence is. You say it's like oil running out of heaven. It's like a mountain dew refreshing your people. That's your promise, Lord. That's your promise. When we gather, when we're together, when we're unified. And we gather now in these last few minutes and we want to say, Lord, Lord, would you work in our souls where we feel perhaps some of us things have been taken that we would want. Lord Jesus, we say, we say that you are all I want, Lord God. You are all we want. And we know we want other things often, but we just say it 